we wanted to prove that it's possible to build a tech for good company at a really early stage that is venture scale, that, that has the, the potential, because we want more people to start companies in this space. And they're not going to do that if every fund can only give, you know, 50K or 200K or whatever it might be. Like, that's not enough money in order to really start something and get it off the ground and, and move quickly. Welcome back to the Clean Techies podcast, where we interview top climate tech founders and investors to share their stories, advice, and lessons when it comes to building and investing in climate. Today, Somel and I are joined by Diz Petit, the founder and CEO of Liquid Donate, a company helping reduce the reverse supply chain costs of corporates by about 50% um, through enabling corporates to seamlessly donate excess inventory and return inventory to nonprofits in uh, need of those same goods. Diz has a really cool story leading up to starting Liquid Donate. Um, she was the 15th hire at Postmates and eventually led their sustainability programs. This all led to her and a former colleague at Postmates to start Liquid Donate. There's a lot of good stuff in here and one of the themes that came up again following past episodes is how you pitch the technology. They specifically pitch their tech for its benefits other than being climate positive when raising just to prove that not all um, climate venture scalable businesses require climate VCs to invest. And um, they do so in many cases when they're pitching as well to corporate. So that was another theme that was pretty common in some of the recent episodes that I wanted to highlight. But without any further delay, enjoy this episode with Diz Petit. All right, welcome to the show, Diz. How are you doing today? I'm good, how are you? I am uh, fine as frog hair, enjoying the the sunny day in New York. It's a bit chilly, but uh, hey, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna complain too much. Are you are you calling from San Francisco? Yeah, I live in the Bay. Okay, very nice. Probably well, I I get, I actually never been there. What is the weather like there this time of year? <laughs> well, in Northern California, it uh you know it gets a little chilly. So right now it's it's not too bad, but uh, it's definitely not New York cold. But all my New York friends yeah. make fun of me for thinking it's cold here. <laughs> Fair play. Fair play, yeah. So, anyways, well, I guess let's just get get right into things. Tell us a little bit about kind of who who you are, what you're doing today, and how did you how did you get here? Sure. So, my name is Diz. Uh, excited to be on the show today, and I am the co-founder and CEO at Liquidonate. And with Liquidonate, we're a software tech solution that enables all brands, businesses, and retailers to donate all of their excess inventory to nonprofits and schools around the world seamlessly. Uh, and prior to starting Liquid Donate, I was the 15th employee at Postmates. So I spent a lot of my early career building our operations team, our customer service team. Uh, I helped to sign the first 500 restaurants to the platform in a time when restaurants were not particularly open-minded to uh, third-party food delivery. So learned a lot through that. I helped to product manage on the Merchant Tablet, which is the tablet that all third-party delivery services are still using today. Uh, so I would actually go work shifts at different restaurants in the Bay Area and take beta versions of the tablet and realize, oh, wow, like this person is actually wearing gloves when this dings. And so we need to make this a physical button versus a virtual button. And then go back to the engineering team the next day and say, hey, like we need to make these changes. Go back to the restaurant and say, hey, because of you, we were able to make these changes. And that's how we won a lot of the exclusive customers was that level of, of detail that we were paying attention to what the actual folks who were dealing with this on a day-to-day basis was. Uh, after that, our CEO asked if I would start our social impact team. Uh, and so my now co-founder of Liquid Donate and I 
He was the lead engineer uh, for two products I built while at Postmates. One was called Food Fight, and that enabled all the restaurants we worked with to just press a button and have us pick up their extra food and take it to local shelters in 800 cities across the U.S. And then we built a second product together called Bento, and Bento enabled folks who didn't have smartphones to text the word hungry to a specific phone number and receive a free meal from the nearest Postmates pickup restaurant. And for that one, we won the Time Magazine Invention of the Year Award. Uh, soon after that, Postmates was acquired by Uber. And so Chai, my, my co-founder and CTO, and I uh, left and joined together to start Liquidonate uh, two years ago. We just had our two-year anniversary. Impact brands represent the choice to live our lives in alignment with planetary action and our values to preserve our amazing home for generations to come. Be it through solar panels, how you travel, where you're sourcing your materials, the choices we make matter. And I know you know that if you're listening to this podcast. My name is Anna Constantinova and I'm on a mission to make impact brands our next paradigm. I believe that marketing can be used for us rather than against us. And I wanna help you build the best brand possible so we can all pour our strength into solving the biggest issue of our time. Whether you're a founder or an investor representing portfolio companies, let's work together to make sure your brand is seen, heard, and remembered the way it deserves to be. And as a thank you to the Clean Techies community, I'm offering 20% off my newest launch, Branding Sessions, with code CLEANTECHIES, one word. We'll take 60 or 90 minutes to solve one specific problem, whether it be a naming issue, strategy development, business growth, or beyond. Let's put our minds together and move forward with renewed energy. Can't wait to hear what you're working on. Find me at anako.co. That's A-N-N-A-K-O dot C-O. Talk soon. Nice. This is pretty fascinating. I have a feeling uh, someone's going to enjoy this one. I mean, maybe maybe some questions about the, the product. <laughs> I mean, I think that's really interesting that the product the experience of design, helping design things. But um, I guess what I want to ask maybe initially is why... What I mean, obviously, you had been working in the space, and I'm assuming you're you're passionate about it. But mm-hmm. why go from doing something in house and doing what you were doing and kind of be an entrepreneur to make the leap to go build something on your own? It's like obviously there's a lot of effort required. So like, why why do it? Oh well, it's super rewarding, and the opportunity in the market for donating excess inventory is huge. There are a number of players in the space that are attempting to donate food, and when forty percent of usable food in the United States gets thrown in the trash. It's a noble cause, but they're doing really well. They're figuring out other companies and nonprofits are figuring out ways to handle that issue. But there's no one who's doing what we're doing at Liquid Donate with the excess inventory piece. And so when we're thinking about landfill diversion as our number one metric, moving products that otherwise end up in the landfill that are in new and like new condition, whether it's overstock inventory, last season's items, something that was monogrammed but got returned, those types of items right now, they end up in the landfill 80% of the time. And that is criminal. (laughs) And so what we do is we work to match those products directly with the folks who need them so that we don't have to have them landfilled. And we actually save the retailer money at least 50% on their reverse logistics costs. And so through this whole process, it's a mission that is aligned with what we were doing at Postmates, but it's a bit bigger scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Soma, do you have anything you want to get into specifically from here? I mean, there's a lot of things I would we can go into, but I think uh, I'll let you take the next one. Yeah, I think I uh, appreciate that. So the technology itself, I mean, it's very interesting. The space and the focus, especially your customer demographic. I know we're skipping a couple of steps, but 
who you work with is, I think, a very unique part of your technology. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we can tie in a little bit of the origin here. How did you identify them as potential users? Yeah, so I've been a, an activist and a community organizer since I was 16. And the climate tech, climate change, excess stuff space has just always been really fascinating to me. And so when I went to get my master's degree, I knew I really wanted to figure out what was the biggest space I could have an impact in in the tech for good space. And so I really focused all the work in my MBA on figuring out what that space would be. And through research, as well as some intuition, um, excess inventory and overstock was really the space that had the biggest TAM. I knew I wanted to build a, a venture-backed company uh, that was at venture scale, that made a huge difference to what we're doing with products today, not only for the landfill, but also for the folks who need these products. And so in order to do that, we went with the excess inventory space. And I think, I think part of it too is like who, who you ended up like working with, or I guess uh, uh, selling into and collecting waste from. Could you just talk about like how you decided to go from um, getting this, you know, massive amount from retail and then pushing it to, you know, I think the point that I'm getting is you, you give it specifically to nonprofits and schools, right? Mm-hmm. And so how did you identify and get those stakeholders at the table? Yeah. So one of the things we learned at Postmates was that we really needed to do a good job of matching supply and demand. I, I think that's like a pretty common understanding, but it's difficult to achieve that. And so with Liquidonate, when we started, we built our supply team, our sales team on, along the same lines as our demand team. And so we had these two teams working together at the same time in order to build our supply and demand so that we would never have a mismatch on our marketplace. And so on the supply side, we have our sales team and they focus on going after retailers that have a sustainability mission. I think that's like the first easiest way to enter into a conversation is, hey, you have a publicly stated goal that you're going to be more sustainable in X, Y, and Z space. We can help you do that. We're integrated uh, technology that makes it easier than throwing it away. That's kind of an, an easy win. The other person that we can sell into on the retail side is the head of reverse logistics. So the folks who really feel the pain of what the returns and reverse logistics space is. Uh, they know how challenging this is, and there's never been a company that's been able to match their product at this scale. And so on the demand side, the way we did that is uh, the team is partially made up of the folks who built the Food Fight database with me at Postmates, so extensive experience in the database building side. But then also the other folks uh, who are on the team are nonprofit, uh, ex-nonprofit employees as well. So we know how to talk the talk and walk the walk on that side and really build a product that is delightful for the end user, which in this case is the nonprofit, so that they keep using us over and over again, that we're really delivering a meaningful service to them. And then on the supply side, making sure that we have a really seamless product that works for them and really does make it easier than throwing it away. Hey there, are you building a climate tech business and looking for very specialized talent? Consider reaching out to our sponsors, Next Wave Partners. Next Wave are experts in talent acquisition, recruitment, and retention across the climate tech, renewables, and ESG spaces globally. So if your team is growing or you're looking to make a career change yourself, feel free to reach out to Next Wave at next-wavepartners.com or reach out to one of their consultants directly via their LinkedIn page. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna use that transition now. Why, why don't we Why don't we get into um, what does the experience What does the product experience look like for the demand side? So for the retail, and then what does the product experience look like um, on the other side for you know your nonprofit or or school organization? Um, could you just walk through like what just <laughs> you know this is an audio podcast, but just what what would the the product experience look like on both sides? Uh, so Liquidonate, we're the first and only software technology solution that seamlessly matches and moves the inventory to nonprofit schools and other upcycling innovators so that we can advance a circular economy. And so anyone dealing with inventory on the supply side can use Liquidonate in one of the following ways or both of the following ways. So the first product that we have is called Magic Matches, and it's our solution that is focused on returns. And it's a technology solution that enables retailers that accept online returns to route those returns to a local nonprofit directly from the customer's home instantly. Uh, we cut the shipping cost and the labor cost for the retailer by 50%. And Magic Matches is available for retailers who are using returns management software uh, already, like Loop or ReturnGo. Um, or we also have a Shopify app that a retailer can download. And as soon as they fill out the workflow of what they want, which every RMS requires them to do anyway, then uh, it will say, hey, anytime an item is, for example, under $25, we don't actually want it back. Then it will ping the Liquidonate API automatically, pull a shipping label for the nearest nonprofit that wants that product from our database, and then produce the shipping label for the customer. And so on the retailer side, when they're using our Magic Matches program, they actually don't even touch the product once they've shipped it out. On the demand side, when the nonprofits sign up, they're able to tell us the types of items that they want to be notified about. And then we either, uh, they can also tell us if they want to opt in to receive magic matches. So incident donations in those categories, or if they would prefer to shop the marketplace. Either one is totally fine, just depends on, on what they want. Uh, and then they either receive the products that are in the categories automatically at their door or uh, they will get an email every morning between 9 and 10 a.m. Uh, that will say, hey, these are all the products that are available right now for free in your area. Are you interested in any of them? And then they can opt in to, to choose that. Um, the other thing that I want to mention about the supply side is that we have uh, the instant tool, which is awesome. It's Magic Matches. Um, and that's really a first-of-its-kind solution. Uh, but what we found when talking to retailers, kind of similar to the experience at Postmates when I was actually going to the restaurants and really talking to them in person, is once we started talking to the retailers, we knew that they re really also needed a self-serve solution that would allow them to donate directly from their distribution centers and their warehouses. And so we built the self-serve tool to enable anyone, whether they are a warehouse manager, a conference or event planner. Um, facilities manager around the country to list their unwanted inventory on the marketplace for donation. And then a majority of those products get uploaded to our site and mapped within 48 hours and moved within seven days. Uh, so we uh, are really excited about that product too. We have a huge uptake on that side as well. Hey there, quick break to remind any founders or VCs listening. If you are looking for deal flow, seeking to raise funding, looking for partners to help service your needs, or perhaps you're looking for corporate investment partners, feel free to reach out to us through our Slack channel, which can be found in the description. 
Because we meet a lot of people in this space, we set aside time each week to make introductions to the various people that we encounter. This is something we do free of charge in order to help these incredible companies solving climate change to scale. Looking forward to hearing from you in the Slack channel. Mm -hmm. I think this is really fascinating. I also appreciate how you are uh, doing a really good job of explaining how this works. I mean, I'm, I'm very fascinated by uh, the fulfillment space. I had like a really, for a very short time, I had my own little uh, side business selling mate. And uh, I just remember getting super excited about figuring out all this stuff. I think it's quite interesting, but I, I wanted to go back to a couple of things. So when you talk about, there's a number of topics I'm trying to cover these in, in a succinct way, but do companies who don't have necessarily stated giving goals or they're not trying to be sustainable or whatever, do they have any interest in this product? And, and if so, why? Yeah. So we save them 50% on their reverse logistics costs and what business doesn't want to save money on accepting online returns. <laughs> I think uh, okay. most consumers have, have come to a point where they expect to be allowed to return almost anything at any time, regardless of condition or receipt or whatever. So uh, this is table stakes for the retailers. And so to be able to save them money on that is a no-brainer. Okay. And then were there any, are there any other like, co-benefits aside from that that you also sure. notice that people who are, you know, not they don't have like these, you know, CSR goals or whatnot? I mean, even if the CSR person isn't on the phone uh, for those conversations about reducing the cost in reverse logistics, people still get excited about the idea that nonprofits are going to receive the goods. Uh, we think, you know, most people are, are good at heart and most people don't like to throw things in the trash when they're still perfectly good and usable items. So even if it's not talking to the head of sustainability about improving their ESG metrics or mapping directly to SASB and GRI, like those things are, are great conversations for the head of sustainability. But even for a warehouse manager, they still like the idea that it's going to go to somebody who needs it. So there is still mm -hmm. a soft sell on the sustainability aspect and the just general good humanness of it. So we, uh, mm -hmm. we always talk about that too. I mean, it's also, if I'm not mistaken, in a lot of cases, they actually have to pay for the disposal of the waste, correct? Yeah, and we take that into yeah. account when we say yeah. that we'll save them 50% on their reverse okay. logistic costs. Got it. Got mm -hmm. it. Okay, and then the other thing I wanted to talk about is more on the on the companies who, they have a CSO, they have somebody who's focused on ESG in the company. Um, what is their response when they seem like this? It's like kind of solving a lot of these problems for them because I know most companies when they have an ESG person, they're, they're mostly worked on working on the E part, right? They're not talking about the kind of more localized social responsibility of things of that nature. So I'm kind of curious to hear the, I guess, the interest and in how people are excited or, or maybe mediocre about it. Yeah. So it depends on the size of the company, obviously. So somebody who is uh, the chief sustainability officer at a large enterprise company, they're going to have a lot of of stake invested in how do we make sure that we're getting testimonials from nonprofits, how that we can use for our sustainability reporting, how do we make sure we're getting waste tracking metrics so that we can input that as part of our ESG scores. So they're thinking on that level. And on the smaller businesses that maybe don't have a, a CSO at an enterprise level, uh, they're still thinking about how can I make sure that we're appealing to Gen Z? How can I make sure that we're talking about our sustainability strategy, that we are posting photos of the nonprofits receiving our goods? Because this idea of giving back is not going anywhere, and it is starting to become table stakes for retailers. And so uh, we 
see a huge uptake in the mm-hmm. sustainability side or the the good, the for good side, uh, whatever you'd like to call it. And so today we work with a number of different retailers from small retailers that are running their companies from their home all the way up to retailers like Room and Board. So for example, Room and Board, we're the national donation partner for them. And so we focus on how can we help them match and move all of their excess inventory, their returns, all of those products into the hands of people who need them. And in those situations, it's it's both. They're really excited about the sustainability aspect as well as the, the savings. And so it's a win-win. Mm-hmm. Hey there. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you made it this far, it's likely that you're enjoying the show. So I wanted to ask your help. If you're enjoying it, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts and share with somebody in the same industry who might find this interesting. And if you're interested in getting summaries of these episodes, go subscribe to our newsletter that comes out on LinkedIn and Substack. Links can be found in the description. Thanks for your help in growing the reach of this show. Yeah, I mean, just a comment on this. I think it's very, there's a lot of, you know, I'm I'm running a a sustainability search right now in my day job and there's some people, some companies that they're kind of um, kind of going kicking and screaming into hiring an ESG person because they're help. In the case mm-hmm. of this one, it's a fund, right? Their LPs want them to, but I think it's very interesting to think about. There's so many solutions like this that are actually very positive on this ESG side, but also saving money, right? And it just goes to show that there's many. Maybe not all of them are that way, but a lot of them are are cost saving. And when you look at it as a whole, it's probably almost always going to be cost saving, depending on the business, but. One thing that I think I'd be really curious to get your take on, you mentioned this earlier, kind of in passing, but I want to make sure you, you give some advice to other, other founders here is on this topic of, you mentioned something about your metrics for waste diversion to landfills. Can you talk, generally speaking, about setting metrics? You know, as a business, you have to, you have to make money and you have to grow, but can you talk about setting kind of co-metrics, if you will, when you're building a, let's call it in the words you use, tech, tech for good business? Can you talk about this a little bit and and then maybe specifically how you guys look at that kind of diversion of waste from the landfills in addition to the growth of business? Yeah. So when starting a company that you know is going to be venture backed or you want to be venture backed and you start talking about being the anti-Amazon in terms of size, like you go to Amazon to buy something we want you to think about liquid donate every time you don't want something anymore you have to first figure out what is a business model that makes sense that is going to be completely scalable uh, on multiple levels so that you can reach profitability and so that was the the first thing that we needed to figure out alongside the fact that my co-founder and i are both really interested in building tech for good and so we kind of view the food fight project that we did at Postmates as our MVP. We learned how to build out a database. We learned all of the trials and tribulations of accessing lists of nonprofits online who may or may not actually be active uh, and building out the product that enabled the person who needed to push the button to push the button. And that's a similar system to what we're doing now. And so. We have already moved over 9 million items in, in two years. And so we know that we're doing the right thing and that we're on the right trajectory. And one of the ways that we know that is because we established metrics in advance. I mean, it's the good hygiene practice that we learned at Postmates. 
uh, but also is repeated in every startup, how to start a startup book is that you need to establish metrics early on so that you can continue to rate yourself against them uh, before you are too deep in it, right? And so uh, with us, our uh, number one uh, metric is how much material have we diverted from the landfill? How many items have we donated? How many nonprofits have we helped? Uh, those things are all great. And then obviously also how many customers do we have? What is our ARR? Uh, what are we, what do we have in the bank? Um, all of those things come alongside of it. So I would say if we're thinking about how we track metrics, numbers like one through six, um, we obviously start with the impact that we're having. Uh, but, you know, I would say it's more like 1.1, 1.2, rather than like one, two, three, four, five, six, because they're all so close and like how important we view them all. So they're all extremely close and how we measure them because we know we can't help the nonprofits with what they need. Uh, if we don't provide an appropriate service for the supply side. That's, that's really, I know, I know Silas has been sort of leading a lot of these questions, but the marketplaces always have a lot of internal decisions that you're making in terms of balancing how much revenue you take per transaction. Are you trying to incentivize more volume or more revenue? Um, you know, it, what is the take rate you take on them? So there's a lot of things to balance on I, all of these transactions, even from a platform side. So it's really, I think it's really encouraging to hear that you're mainly just doubling down on uh, what works essentially. And yeah. I think too that I want to ask if there's anything you learned, you know, marketplaces I think are well explored after, you know, the the success of eBay and, and then uh, you know, Amazon and all of these things after that. But I think there's still a lot of nuance to impact marketplaces. So I'm wondering how, if you saw anything surprising with, when making an impact-oriented marketplace? Everything is surprising. I mean, I, I think when you're the first mover in a space, there's a lot of things that you see and surprise you and delight you and upset you and all kinds of things. So I think um, one example I can talk about is we, on the supply side, we have a donor who donates a significant amount of short-dated product. And short-dated product, when it comes to a food product, is something that has less than a month shelf life uh, or till its expiry date. And so most re uh, retail stores, most grocery stores won't actually purchase that from the vendor because they don't believe that they will sell it all in time. And so a lot of times that short-dated product will actually be transited directly to a landfill. And so when this company found us, we we're told, okay, we have, uh, we have this actually by the truckload and the truckload is between 26 and 28 pallets. And so we were like, okay, let's upload a truckload of product to our site and see what happens. And so we made a new entity uh, on the marketplace where we added a truckload feature and it incited a lot of very interesting conversations. So the, the nonprofit would go and they would order it and then we would reach out and be like, okay, you saw it was a truckload, right? And they're like, oh, yeah, but like, it can't be that much. And we're like, no, it is, <laughs> like, it's a lot. And uh, so having a lot of those conversations and then seeing the way that the community came together to find ways to support this, like, I mean, some of the nonprofit partners were, like, got volunteers together to accept the donation and distribute it right away. Like, all this stuff, it was just so cool to see 
how everyone came together and, and made that work. But that was definitely a, a surprise of like, okay, what do we do? We've, we've dealt in furniture, we've dealt in food, like we've dealt with individual returns, like we've dealt with a lot of strange things, but like truckload was the first time that we'd had that size. And so that was a, an interesting use case, but we figured it out. I think that's hilarious. That's a great story, by the way. I'm just going to say that much. That, that's awesome. Yeah. It, was, uh, it's, it, it like haunts my nightmares uh, in some ways, just because like the logistics of figuring it all out was very challenging, but the outcome has been really wonderful. So it was worth it. One thing I want to ask, I know we're getting towards the end of the show. So the last major topic that I want to put in front of you is just to get a little more insight into your fundraising process. Um, actually, interesting tidbit. I, your seed round was backed by Uncore Capital. Is that correct? Our pre-seed. Oh, your pre-seed. And they yeah. were the original founders behind Postmates as well. Yeah, the, the original, original funders. The original mm-hmm. funders, sorry. So um, super cool, interesting dynamic there. Was that sort of... You know, I think we've seen a couple founders in the space who have built companies within climate or impact that had investors that were non-climate or impact focused. And it was mainly the grit and the skill of the founders that, you know, these previous funders trusted. But each Mm -hmm. story is different. So I would just love to hear your story about how you went about your pre-seed. Did you do a normal competitive sort of, you know, full scale round? Or did you have like them in mind when you were looking to start your company? So we went through an accelerator program in June and July of last year called Blue Startups. And while we were a part of that program, we were learning a lot about fundraising. And we knew that we wanted to raise a round bigger than the friends and family round that we'd started with. And Uncourt Capital was was clearly a, a front runner option for us. And we were really interested in going with a an institutional VC versus one that specifically focused on female founders or uh, underrepresented founders or climate specifically because we wanted to get millions of dollars in our first round. Like we wanted to prove that it's possible to build a tech for good company at a really early stage that is venture scale, that that has the, the potential because we want more people to start companies in this space. And they're not going to do that if every fund can only give, you know, 50K or 200K or whatever it might be. Like, that's not enough money in order to really start something and get it off the ground and and move quickly. So we were excited about going with an institutional fund. And because of the relationship from Uncork being uh, one of the first funders of Postmates, uh, it was a pretty, pretty straightforward conversation with what we're building. And uh, yeah, it's been an exciting journey with them, and uh, we are excited to be to be backed by them. They're a really great fund, and we've met a ton of other great founders through them. And yeah, we're we're very lucky and grateful to uh, to have their backing. You know, quick, just one quick follow up um, on that. Was there any nuance? bringing an impact-oriented company or one that at least has metrics that are not purely financial to, again, like you said, this is clearly what you wanted. Always. But were there any, was there a process you had to go through to make that happen? Yeah. I mean, we had to know that we wanted, that, that we needed to lead with the savings that we're providing to the retailers. 
the brands and the businesses that are using our services. So I think maybe something that people do when they are creating a tech for good company and trying to get institutional funding from VCs is it seems like maybe they're not leading with the fact that this could be huge. You know, we could be as big as Amazon or Uber. Like that's not the scale they're thinking about because of whatever reason. And so we knew we needed to lead with that. And so that's what we lead with. And we lead with that on all of our sales calls too. We know that saving 50% on your reverse logistics costs, it's a catchy soundbite, it's, it's true. And it is something that can entice almost anybody to have a conversation with us. And so in those situations, you just have to be aware of like what it is that you're selling to meet your ultimate mission. And for us, that's to uh, accelerate the world's transition to a circular economy. That's our mission, but how do we get there? We build a huge company. I love it. I love it. Um, we're getting really close to the end. So let's, I, I think is we be, we should definitely ask you because you, you have quite a lot of insight on these things. What is your, what are your best two to three pieces of advice for founders in the climate space when building? It could be anything. It could be go to market, fundraising, like how do you pitch products, et cetera? Yeah. So my first piece of advice is make sure that you know your Tam Sam and your Psalm, like the back of your hand. Uh, because that's what VCs and funders are going to be interested in. And you're going to need funding in order to fuel your idea for long enough if you are trying to be a huge company. Um, the second piece of advice, oh gosh, I feel like I probably have a million. Uh, and I'm always open to receiving advice from other folks too, because things are changing on a daily basis. But um, yeah, keep keep trying. Uh, I think that every once in a while we'll hit, uh, hit a wall where we're, we'll have a week where we don't sign any new contracts and it's like, oh, what's, why isn't this working? What's going on? And then, you know, we look into double doubling down on, okay, well, what if we got the existing donors to donate more? Like you just, no matter how hard it gets, you have to keep trying. Uh, and I think that that's something that, uh, is easier said than done. Yeah, I think um, it, I do think it can be underrated sometimes that you just have to have grit because I think I think maybe now with with market valuations and things kind of coming back to reality that people who are looking to be entrepreneurs realize that oh you know it's actually not just about the lifestyle like there's actually like I have to put in the work right somebody I think yesterday we had somebody say that. Um, the getting the funding is basically like signing up for the marathon it's like you, you still have to run the marathon right you can't just uh, yeah you can't just sign up and then expect everything to go well so getting the funding is is like you know yes you gotta you now have to go put in the work so i appreciate that i think that's really interesting um and i think this has been a great great uh conversation I, i've learned quite a lot i really like you guys's tech so i think this is interesting uh, any i guess final thoughts or you know next challenges things that you want to just kind of plug and where people can reach you yeah, so folks can reach out to us. My email email address is diz, D-I-Z, at liquidonate.com. Uh, it's like liquidate and donate in one word uh, for those who are listening. Uh, and I'm happy to, to chat with folks uh, and happy to pass along information to our sales team. Uh, they're a really great team. We have, a, we have an awesome team, so you'll be in good hands with whoever you chat with with liquidonate. And... Uh, yeah, we have some exciting stuff coming in the new year. So maybe we'll chat again then once we launch it. Very nice. Absolutely. It's, pl it's a pleasure to have you on. I really enjoyed this and looking forward to seeing how you guys continue. 
Yeah. Thanks so much for having me.